Uh, tonight we're going to have a sermon. It's entitled Tender Grace. I want to read to you verses 6 through 25 in 1 Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I, am, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have spoken or forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerub, Jerubel, that's Gideon, and Bedan, that's Barak, and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have, not, you have committed all this evil, yes, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you remember when we were in chapter 11, 
the Spirit of the Lord came on Saul. And remember, he's tired. He's behind a bunch of oxen, not what you'd think a king should be doing. There's no palace yet, right? There's no place for him to live. He's still in his home. He's behind some oxen. But the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He rallies his troops. He defeats Nahash, King Nahash, the eye-gouging Ammonite. Remember, the guy who would trade the right eye for a covenant. And so following this victory, Saul said this, This day the Lord has rescued Israel. And Samuel heard that. He didn't say, I delivered Israel. He said, the Lord delivered Israel. And so Samuel, man, he's quick. He picks up on that really quickly. And he understands he needs to bring all of Israel to renew the kingdom and to renew the kingship. He knew that their choice of a visible king was a sinful thing. And he must bring them to repentance. And last week, you remember, we talked about this, a courtroom setting. Um, we have Samuel, the prophet. We have the people, and we have God all present at this uh, courtroom setting. And Samuel establishes his covenant faithfulness. Remember, he says, here I am in verse 3. Has any, can anybody say that I've bribed them or taken a bribe? Can anybody say here that I've defrauded them? And the, the answer's not guilty. You see, he establishes his covenant faithfulness. He lays his life out before them and his leadership out before them. Now, before he comes to close quarters with them and he shows them that they're the ones on trial, the second thing that he does is he lays the Lord's covenantal faithfulness out in front of them in verses 6 through 11. And so now he says in verse 7, So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and for your fathers. Now back to verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So he goes back to the fundamental historical salvation event of their lives. He goes back to the time in the Old Testament when God set his people free from Egypt. This is the pattern. The pattern is God is going to display his mercy and grace on his people in Egypt and through the book of Judges. What has been the pattern? What's the pattern? The pattern is this. Cling to the Lord and he delivers you. Depart from the Lord and he will send some folks to oppress you in order to bring you back to himself because he has made you his people and he is going to bring you back into fellowship with him. Cling to him. If you depart from him, he will oppress you and then you will repent and he will deliver you. That's, that's the pattern. And these are the facts. Cry to the Lord and he answers with salvation. Relapse into sin and experience oppression. Renew your cry to the Lord and you get mercy every time. We're going to get there in a minute. This is the Lord's faithfulness. He does this in Egypt. God grows Jacob into a great nation after all these years. And then they cry, according to Exodus 2.23. They cry, and the Lord remembers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant. And God delivers them out with Moses and with Aaron. Second, in verse 9, it tells us that the people forgot the Lord. Okay, here they go. <laughs> uh, they started getting a little happy. Maybe, you know, there's men... This is just an aside, but you know, I see these men, they come to the gym, they're all strapping and they're all fit and they get all fit to get married. And after about six months, they get a little overweight because they got happy. 
They're satisfied, right? And so they don't worry about all this stuff anymore. Well, sometimes we just easy to forget God when everything's going our way. And he says they forgot the Lord and the Lord sold them into the hand of Sisera. And the Lord sold them into the hand of the Philistines and in the hand of Moab. And so then they begin to cry, they begin to fight against these folks. And God hears them as they cry out. And the people are saying, we have forsaken the Lord and we've served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And so God then delivers them and he delivers them with Gideon and he delivers them with Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. And God is always, here's this evidence of God's mercy all the time. God is always merciful all the time. The people may depart, but God's mercy is always there. Now, I want you to consider before we move on, just very quickly, consider the fundamental event of history for you and for me. Your life is centered around one event, the cross work of Jesus Christ. And it's through this event that you've been saved. And it's this event where God shows you His faithfulness as He gives you provision for your sin. And so you and I, as we look to Jesus Christ, we should always be able to take out our pen, take out our piece of paper, and write down many things where God has been so faithful to us. How many places where God has been faithful to you can you write down? Well, third, let's look at Israel's spiritual accountability. So if Samuel's not guilty, <laughs> and the Lord is not guilty, and we know they're both they're not, who's guilty? <laughs> Somebody's guilty. And it's going to be the people. Samuel has to bring the people to repentance for choosing for themselves a king. Samuel's like a dog with a bone. He's not going to let it go until he gets the people to repent. He's going to take out his bony finger. And he's going to put it where it needs to go into their hearts. He's going to show them that they are guilty for choosing a king, and that happens in verses 12 through 18. Verse 12, When you saw that Nahash the king of the sons of Ammon came against you, what did they do? They forgot. They forgot God. This person's coming, and they go. Where did the, where's the first thing they go to? Let us think about this. <laughs> Let us think about this. At least they stopped to think about it. But instead of crying for deliverance, where do they go? They went for a king to rule over them. Instead of crying out to the invisible God, they cried out to a, for a visible king. And then he counseled them, Samuel counsels against this, and they said, no, we want a king anyway. You forgot the invisible, the covenantally faithful God. This is what broke the camel's back. You have sinned. Davis writes this, For you it was a king or bust, not in God we trust. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now let's stop for a second. I ask myself this question. What, what is it about the next crisis that causes you to forget the Lord who is faithful to you? This is a This is a killer. Cry to the Lord in your distress, and He provides deliverance, but not this time. <laughs> he can't help me this time because I'm up against Nahash, this guy, he wants my eye. I'm up against a guy that God can't help me with this time. He can help me with all these other hundred, but not the hundred and first one. Why do we do that? 
Why, why, do we, why do we act this way? We claim that we're people of God. We claim that we're people of the book. We claim that we depend on the Lord and Jesus is our Savior. But when Nahash comes, why do we do this? Why do we uh, look for help somewhere else? Dr. Phil. Why don't we look for Dr. Phil? Why don't we look for the friend? There's a man in the gym. I used to see this happen every, every so often. These are, these are men that I'm working with. These are not boys. These are men. These are big old striping men. And when they have a problem, I watch them train from 7, well, 5 o'clock in the morning until sometimes 5 or 6 in the afternoon. And if they had a problem, they said, Mr. So-and-so, what do you think about this? And, and you know, you're in the gym. You can hear this. Ask the same, the next person at 6 o'clock, the next person at 7 o'clock. You're, you're close enough that you hear these conversations. They have a problem. They ask in every single person that they train. Why don't we go to God? Why don't we go to Phil, Dr. Phil? Why don't we go to Facebook? Why don't we go to even the preacher sometimes? Now, it's, it's, I'm not saying not to go to the preacher. But we need to go to God first. And these guys, they forgot that. They went for a man. And is it not because we know the answer? If, we, if we've sinned, we know the answer. We know that we need to confess our sins, repent of our sins, and turn back to God. And God's going to be merciful to us. But what we do is we, we can't find, we, we can't see God. We can see us all, but we can't see God. We can see Dr. Phil, but we can't see God. We can see a Saul. It's much easier to talk to Saul than go to the, to the God who's invisible and all-powerful. Alexander McLaren writes, Strange that after 100 instances of God's aid, the 101st should find us almost as slow to turn to God and as eager to secure earthly help as if there were no past of our own or of many generations, all crowded and bright with tokens of his care. See what I'm saying? Here's number 101. Instead of looking at those, all the past light, all the past gifts, all the past mercies, we forget. So easy to forget. To exchange the invisible and faithful God for our visible Saul. And see... One of the things we need to concentrate on here is that we're people who want to see. We're people who want to feel. We're people who want to be stimulated. And Saul is something to see. He is a big man. He's a tall man. He's head and shoulders above the rest. But he's not invincible. You with me? He's invincible. That always gets people's attention because that's not a word. But he's not all-powerful. But our invisible God is all-powerful, so it's not a good exchange. <laughs> you and I, we need to stick with the God who's all-powerful, although we cannot see him, he is there. So when you come to church, and I want to be of help, and Pastor Sumter and Mr. Larson wants to be of help, and all our members, we want to be of help, but we have to trust in God and go to these guys who help us and attach us to Jesus Christ, not to be attached to them or myself. We have to be attached to Christ. He's much powerful than Mark. Well, let's move on. Samuel moves a little closer to them now. And so this is what he says in verse 13. He says, Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen. 
So in other words, here's the new government and it's in place. It's a done deal. You got a king now. So here are the obligations of the covenant. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. Verse 15, if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father. So really simply put, obey and be blessed, verse 14, disobey and be disciplined, verse 15. Those are the covenant obligations. Well, what do we learn here? Well, we learn that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there are obligations. Under the Old Covenant, there's obligations. You obey and you're blessed. You disobey and you're going to be disciplined. The same thing happens when we are under the New Covenant and Jesus Christ is our Savior. He calls us to be His slaves, to seek His kingdom first. And so we find ourselves under the same obligations. So back to Israel. Samuel reminds them that they forgot the Lord when this new crisis occurred. He reminds them of their covenant obligations and now he's going to bring them to repentance. In verse 3, he says this, Here I am not guilty. In verse 7, he says, Here stands the Lord. He's not guilty. Verse 16 Even now, take your stand and see the great thing which God will do before your eyes. Now, this is sort of scary. They still haven't repented. They don't understand, but they will understand a sensory event. They will understand a multi-sensory event. They want a king. They want somebody they can see. Well, they're fixing to see something. I don't know if you thought about this, but something's fixing to happen. And it's not normal. Do you remember those fields full of wheat? Those fields ready for the harvest? Those are bank accounts. That's money. You know, when I used to be in California and I go walk and look at the, I'd say, I'd say, Ken Tucker, look at all those trees. And, and I'd go, look at all that uh, stuff y'all put out there for fertilizer. And they, these, they, you know what they do? I remember Desi Tucker going, smells like money to me. Looks like money to me. They shake those trees and all that money falls off the ground. One of our men literally got 4,300 pounds off of one acre. That's a lot of pounds. That's a lot of money. All this represents money. And so the Lord's going to give these folks a multi-sensory event. He's going to so overwhelm them and He's going to get their attention. This is what He says in verse 17. Samuel says to the people, Is it not the wheat harvest today? What happens during the wheat harvest? What happens during, here we are, September the 11th. That means that they've just gotten all the nuts, almost all the nuts in California off the ground. You know what happens during these last about six or seven weeks? Let me tell you what, it doesn't happen. No rain. They beg God to pour snow during the winter. They beg God for rain during certain times. But when it's time to harvest, they don't want any rain because that will ruin the crop. On the ground, oh, it costs a lot of money to dry stuff. These men are out there babying these trees. These men are out there like taking care of these trees, petting them, making making sure that they get all the things they need. Now Samuel calls rain down at the height of the harvest because they've asked for a king. And the Lord did it. 
thunder and lightning and rain, and the people began to tremble. And in that moment, the king, with all his brawn and bone and biceps, and the army with all their power, couldn't do anything about the rain that God would send that would destroy their crops. The Lord, with one terrible storm, can totally devastate their lives. Why have you chosen a visible king over an invisible God? And the people began to confess their sins in verse 19. We have added to all of our sins the evil of asking for a king. Over and over the scriptures tell us, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. But sometimes the Lord has to send multi-sensory events to display in front of our eyes and to get our attention. What is that statement that C.S. Lewis says? God whispers to us in our uh, joys and our pleasures, but he screams to us in our pain. I'm not quoting that perfect, but that's pretty close. These events that get our attention and remind us that we need to turn our hearts back over to the Lord and depend upon Him completely. When things are going well and everything's going smooth, it's easy to think that it's not going to stop. And we've studied Calvin and he says this, How eager is our flesh to shake off the whole yoke of the Lord as soon as we have been treated with some tenderness and some indulgence. We forget God. We think everything's going to be happy, but all the happy comes from God as well as all these difficult things. Sad to say, this is sometimes the only way God can get our attention. I don't know, maybe you have had one of these events in your life. Maybe your whole life could be marked by one of these events. We've talked about these before. I've, I've had one in my life. I remember it happened on Sunday night. I remember who was preaching. I remember who was around me. I don't remember anything else except going home and knowing I better open the Bible up and start reading it, and I never stopped. What event? The death of a loved one, a loss of income, a romantic breakup, a sickness, family turmoil. Maybe you come tonight. And maybe you're here tonight and all of a sudden you're going, I'm just going to pop in and pop out like normal and yet God has has your attention. We tremble at our sin. We need to get it right with God today. How do we respond? Listen to me. It's a different group. I mean, it's like, I wouldn't probably say this in in, in a bigger group, but I would say this. Is it going to sweeten you or is it going to make you sour? Let, let God, as He convicts you of your sin, let Him sweeten your life and not make you sour. The Lord is desirous to do deep heart work in us during these times. Well, this is Israel's spiritual accountability. Well, fourth, let's look at the Lord's tender mercy. How does the Lord respond when the people repent of their sin? They called it sin. Verse 20, this is what Samuel says to them, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. How in the world can God be like that? I mean, isn't that amazing grace? Have you ever ever experienced that? There's a story of a little boy who's been told by his father not to run into the street. Don't run into the street. Don't run into the street. Don't cross this line. Don't run into the street. Maybe he needed to put a, a rope on him, you know, with a harness. That could only, but he didn't. And the boy ran into the street. Next thing he knows, he hears the car come up and stop. 
And he sees this little boy standing there in front of the car. He runs out and he grabs hold of him. And he doesn't know whether to tear him up with his, with his spanking or to... And he's both at the same time. It's just wrath and warmth all at the same time. It's love and it's wrath at the same time. And there's times when we feel God's heavy hand coming against us and we see thunder and lightning and rain and then there's sunny skies all at once. God tells us to get up and do the next right thing. Well, God is like this. And first thing I would say is you need to adore Him for it. And let me tell you the reason why he's like this. Verse 22. This is the reason why he's like this. He says, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. He's got a reputation. And then he says, Because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. That's why he's not going to be anything but merciful. You come and you say, I've sinned. He's going to say, I forgive you. Wow. Did you ever expect that he would operate in any other way? This is what we saw in verses 6 through 11. Does it say this, cry to the Lord and be destroyed? <laughs> is that what it says? No, it says cry to the Lord and He what? He delivers you. Cry to the Lord and He pours out mercy on you. Just because you have sinned and you have chosen a king and you have done what is wrong, it doesn't mean that I change. I'm always the same. The one who never turned away from you in the past is never going to turn away from you today. He will always be as he always has been. Dale Davis gives an illustration in his commentary, and it goes like this. He says, there's a rule in his house. <laughs> this, is, this brings back lots of memories for me in high school. But there was a rule in his house that when somebody's in the shower, don't ever flush the toilet. Mm -hmm. We all know why, right? We all know why. Okay, so his little 10-year-old boy goes <laughs> to the restroom. He flushes the toilet, and Dale's in the shower, and he starts running in there and knocking on the door and saying, Dad, Dad, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm your son. You're my father. I belong to you, and there's some limits on how you can treat me. You can't just do anything you want to. Because you see, I belong to you, and there's some limits on what you can do to me. And that's what the Lord's saying to Israel here. You're mine. I've chosen you. And the same thing happens to us. It's grace that has saved you. It's grace that has brought you through many dangers, toils, and snares. It's grace that has led you safe thus far. And it's grace that will lead you home. This is tender mercy. Do you think that your sin, sir, do you think that your sin, ma'am, your great failure, your great mistake can erase verse 22. Do you think that your sin can move, remove from the Scripture, Romans 5.20, where it says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Do you think that your sin can keep God from continuing to do the work He's begun in you and to complete it until the day Jesus comes? Do you think your sin can do, undo that? Well, it can't. You might have sinned, but God is full of tender mercy when we come and repent. Well, finally, let's look at, we need to talk about Samuel, the mediator, real quick. The Lord's wonderfully provided for this people a mediator. So he's not guilty, God's not guilty, they're guilty, and then they turn around and they say, Samuel, would you pray for us? And he says this, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing 
to pray for you. Don't we need to be reminded to pray? When everything goes wrong, I'm trying to watch my time. When everything goes wrong, what do you do? You know, you have one thing at your disposal and sometimes you forget to use it. Sometimes you look for fill, but you really just need to stop and pray. Have you ever just pulled off the road and, and, and stopped to pray? Think I'm crazy? It's not a bad idea sometimes. Just stop and pray. So easy to get caught up. We go to Bible studies. We go to church. We go all these things. And all of a sudden things spin out of control. And God forbid that you should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for yourself and for failing to pray for one another. Pray for your heart to change. Pray for my heart to change. Pray for others' hearts to change. But don't forget to pray. And you know this morning, it's wonderful. I like it when both sermons end on the same note. How did we end this morning, Peggy? We ended talking about Jesus getting up from his seat and getting down on his knees and praying for us. And here we have a mediator that's greater than Samuel. We have a mediator, and Jesus is that, that person who is on the throne right now, and he is continuing to make intercession for us at all times so that we float and not sink. We're weak, stumbling, forgetful. We're covenant-breaking children, but we have a mediator who stands between ourselves and God, and he's the one who's holding us up. So let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for what we read and study from your word. We thank you for what we learn about you and learn about, uh, about Jesus as we study this passage of Scripture as it points forward to our great Savior, and the work that he did for us on the cross. We thank you, especially as we've just said, that we have a mediator who uh, sits in heaven in all glory, ruling and reigning, and yet never ceasing to stop praying for us. Father, we pray that we would be reminded that we are being lifted up every second of every day as we come to this next week. Strengthen us for it. Help us to go out to it and totally depending on the power of your spirit to be at work in us and we will praise you for it help us now as we end this service to begin to think about next sunday to begin to prepare to be with you and worship you help us prepare for what we will do through all eternity as we prepare tonight for next sunday we ask this in jesus holy name amen, amen.